0: Hello,
1: welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keys, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss NBA star Ja Morant and his apparent affinity for guns, and we're also going to look at the two different conversations people seem to be having about this and kind of mixing together in a country like ours, which has quite an affinity for guns. And later on, we're going to remember Jim Brown, who passed away on May 18th, 2023, and consider how our society goes about remembering men and honoring men who have done great things, but whose legacy is not without any blemishes. Joining me today is a man who can drop knowledge in a, in a conversation on any given Monday. Tunde ogonlana Tunde, are you ready to show the people how life is a game of inches
0: and so is podcasting? Yes, sir. I'm take my lumps, take my hits along the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get to the finish line. We will,
1: one inch at a time. <laughs> so we're recording this on May 22nd, 2023, and over the last week, we've seen lots of people react to the suspension of Memphis Grizzlies star uh, John ja Morant. Memphis Grizzlies is a basketball team in the NBA which he was hit with on May 14th following the release of a video, a release, you know, it was on social media, a video showing him riding in a car and brandishing a handgun. Now this is his second suspension for brandishing a gun on a social media video this year. He was suspended back in March for doing so. But in this second time around, which, you know, the first time around, people were more reserved, you know, people make mistakes and so forth. But even so, opinions this time have been mixed because, Morant on either occasion hasn't been charged with a crime it's just more about you know the NBA saying hey we don't like this we don't like this image so we're spending you and how people react to that have varied so to get us started today from your standpoint what have been your thoughts on John ja Morant and the situation he's found himself in and also whether he's being treated unfairly so to speak
0: now I think my, my my personal feeling is you know we've kind of seen this before in terms of our society and our culture in general meaning Young man, John Moran, I believe, is twenty-one years old. 23, um, 23 I believe. Twenty-three, yep. but yeah. yeah, young man that, yeah. that yeah. is <laughs> the in the point being, yeah. Yeah, in the spotlight, who's, you know, just has a spotlight on him. I thought about guys like Charles Barkley who said, I'm not a role model when he was a younger you know, yeah. athlete playing. Um, you think about you mentioned to me in a private conversation, people like Tupac, you know, when he was alive, he was a young man that 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 got in trouble, you know, in, in terms of with the media and law enforcement and all that. So it's not new. I think what um, it's just, you know, I think this is the reason why I try not to pay too much attention in general about this kind of stuff is because I recognize he doesn't represent all 23-year-old men. He doesn't represent all NBA players that that have money that are his age. You know, most a lot of people aren't behaving his way. So, of course, he makes the news. Um, and I don't think he's being treated unfairly to answer that part of the question because, you know, at the end of the day, he's... He's a professional athlete that everybody recognizes, you know, kids watch him, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, just like I said about Iverson, Barkley, or I'm sure I can name a million athletes out there who've done something in the past that the public has had an issue with. And I just think it's par for the course. You know, if you're going to be a professional athlete and a young man, there's people, if, if you behave a certain way that is perceived to be negative by society, um, People are going to make a reaction. And so I think yeah. it's – I think everything I've seen is, like, within the bounds of normalcy of a reaction. Yeah, I mean,
1: there's a scale to the thing. Like, if they were saying, "There, we're going to banish you forever from the NBA, then, then you know, the conversation is different. Uh, suspension, when games – and his team's not even playing games anymore is kind of like, you know, that's, that's one of those – like, they're just pressing pause more than anything. There's no functional – uh, thing that the suspension is doing—he's yeah. not getting paid anyway right now, you know. So it's you know he's suspended from team activities when there are no team activities. So you know it's more of more of a message than anything. You know, my thought in general when I when I see stuff like this, um, particularly in in the context of the fact that this is kind of a repeat thing that we've seen and something so something that was so recent, you know, March and then now is. You know, it does seem like he's dealing with some things. Like this isn't th- this doesn't come off to me as this is a guy who just doesn't care about authority or is thumbing his nose at, you know, kind of the 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 establishment so to speak, like he's part of the establishment. You know, he he's he has a shoe deal, you know, with Nike is a signature shoe. And, you know, so he's part of the establishment. And for whatever reason, he's engaging in what you would consider to be self-destructive, self-destructive behavior. Like he's undermining all of the things. Now, this guy, the reason this is a bigger deal is because he's not just an NBA player. He's not just, you know, a, a player who's a prominent player on his team or something. He is considered to be one of the players who may be a future face of the NBA. Like as Steph Curry and LeBron James in their mid to late 30s, he's one of the guys they're looking at. I just said his first signature shoe, which most people don't get that. They're about 10 or, you know, with Nike, they're about 10 or 12, 15 guys that have that kind of stuff. Um, His just came out. And so this guy is a guy that is tagged for a very, very, very steep trajectory going up. And so this is befuddling to many people like, well, what in the world's going on? Like this guy who has the world in his palm is throwing it all away, making YouTube, not YouTube, but he's doing, doing Instagram live, you know, brandishing guns, you know, like he's shooting a rap video. And so to me, the first time around you could say, okay, well, I didn't know that everybody would freak out if I did that. It wasn't illegal. You know, like I'm just, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing. You know, like if, if there are many accounts, you know, I'm sure that, that. Where you'll see a gun or something like that in the social media. Like, why is this a big deal to me? The second time around was just like, well, hold up, man. <laughs> you just saw that everybody was tripping when you did that before. And nobody tried to say you didn't need to go to jail. They were just pointing at your money. They were pointing at the, the 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 opportunities that you have. So are you trying to throw those away? Like, is there is it something going on where you don't want that anymore? So to me, that's kind of what stood out. I want to kick it back to you real quick and then I'll I'll get into the the fairness part.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just that's why I don't have much to say on this kind of topic. Why I kind of why I'm not on social media, right? Like, I I don't care to get into young man's head. Obviously, you know whatever he's dealing with, he's dealing with. I just think that um, you know, I, it is what it is, and and that's the beauty of our system, right? If he's going to lose his shoe deals and all that, that's on him, right? It'd be his own actions. Unfortunately, it's his choice to make, basically. Yeah. Like, it's and not my choice. If, Being on Instagram with guns and all that and looking cool as a young man like that and thinking that's tough um, is more important than being a business guy. That's his choice. You know, Um, I I think everyone has a right to comment about it. I just don't feel like spending my energy doing it. I think that, um, you know, that that it's it's. You know, it is what it is, so I'll hand it back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no,
1: like in in the fairness piece, I I find interesting because this is where I see people having multiple different conversations and kind of in the name of John Morant. But they're not really half the time. They're not really talking about John Morant, because if you're going to have the conversation about John Morant, is he being treated fairly? Then you can't your comps can't be just any old dude. You know, it has to be someone who eh, the NBA wants to make a face of their league or somebody who is in that prominent of a position that is. Looked at for you as know, targeted for that kind of promotion and so forth. So, the NBA, from their standpoint, the employers, so to speak, they can punish you for all kinds of behavior that may not be unlawful. You know, like if, if he was, you know, doing any, there's other behaviors I'm sure if he was doing on Instagram Live that the NBA might look at and be like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Memphis Grizzlies might be like, whoa, whoa. we don't want you doing that. You know, we want an image of blank, you know, out there with, with the fans and so forth like that. So, I think that his heightened, and we've seen this point made, his heightened, he has a heightened responsibility if he wants the spoils that come along with the, the, the promotion, the push that people want to put behind him. Now it's not, he doesn't have to take that push. He doesn't have to like, all of that stuff is up to him and I'm not counting his money. Like if he wants the money, he can go get it. If he doesn't, then, you know, you can live a good life without $200 million or whatever. So ultimately, though. I, like I said, to oh, me, it, it is more fascinating about, you know, because I brought up to you Tupac in the sense that his behavior seems very reckless and it seems to have started and increased as he's gotten more famous, you know, and it's like because this isn't something you did that he came into the draft like, oh, yeah, John Morant makes a lot of bad decisions in life. It's like yeah. as he's gotten more famous, he's gotten in more trouble, which, you know, was kind of the mirror thing with Tupac. So. That to me, and that that gets into a whole bunch of other things. So fairly, I think he's being treated relatively fairly, you know, so to speak. Like it's hard to do a one to one comparison to say, okay, well, what exactly would somebody else in this situation have? But he does have a heightened responsibility because he's on a higher plane as far as higher responsibilities, more people investing in him, so to speak, than the average person. So that can't be left behind. The second conversation, though, which we'll get into is the whole idea of guns in society. You know, like when somebody says, oh, well, John ja Morant shouldn't get in trouble with his employer because politicians have guns and political ads. And it's like, well, that's a different audience. You know, like that, that's, that's not unfairness. That's a conversation. You want to have a conversation about whether politicians should have guns and political ads, which we can have that conversation, but don't bring John ja Morant into that would be my thought on that. So, on you know, look into the the next part of this conversation. It's like, you know, your thoughts more generally you know, on the, the guns in society conversation that, you know, people seem to want to have it. There are some people, not all people, obviously, but some people want to have it. This like, oh, well, you know, Second Amendment, you know, people talk about Second Amendment. He should be fine doing this. It it's not illegal. You know, just any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it definitely opens up the conversation to a much broader look at American culture and uh, one of the unique parts of American culture, which is our... um our our culture around guns, and I think you're right. Um, we're the only country that I know of that has um, the ability to bear arms written in its actual founding documents of the of the nation. Um, and you know, I pulled up the Second Amendment, and just to read it real quick, I'll quote: "A, w- a well regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed." What I find fascinating about it, it's a very short statement. And it's actually kind of vague because I mean I've I've <laughs> even in today preparing I made sure to watch different videos and read different stuff of kind of different sides of this argument of kind of broke pro gun side the people that want to regulate guns more and all that and it's interesting the idea of a well regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state so in one sense they're saying hey look a militia is a you know a a, a regulated group of men or people you know that have the ability to keep and bear arms, so forth. But then other people interpret it, no, that means that every citizen has the right to keep and bear arms. I'm not here to to argue with the nuances of that. I'm just, because I wasn't there when they wrote it to ask him. I'm just saying that it's interesting that it is pretty vague and it allows for this open kind of discussion to say, okay, what is it? What what do they really mean? And then the second thing is, you know, getting back, and I'll kick it back to you here is. The history of this Second Amendment is very interesting because, as we normally do in our discussions, getting back to the why. Why did the Founding Fathers put this in there when we started as a country? And let's not forget that our nation was founded on rebellion, right? So, so the yeah, government. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So we were not our own country first, right? We were a colony of Britain. And so we didn't have a standing army back then because it was the British Army that was the army of the colonies, right? So you needed... In order to have the rebellion, you had to form militias and do all this stuff. And so a lot of that language obviously made sense. And even the idea of militias that are armed really goes back to 16th century Britain. So just like many um, areas of law, the Americans borrowed a lot of British law. And one of the ideas in Britain was that every able-bodied man in the time of war or battle needs to be able to be called up. But the one thing that they believed in is that they didn't believe that any man should ever be a career soldier. Yeah, they, so they that didn't, was the they were,
1: they, they were apprehensive of standing armies.
0: Correct. So, so that's Which the we big threw difference. that out a long time
1: ago. <laughs> no, I know. Well, that's what I was going
0: to say. Is that's why context is important. And I'll kick it back to you. But that's just for me to finish this point is because they didn't believe in standing militaries and armies. That that was another thing, right? They be, it was more of a collective idea of bearing arms that the 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 able-bodied men of the society were should be able to be called up you know which means they should be able to have a gun and they should also be well regulated meaning they should be trained on how to use them properly so on and so forth but the idea was that we're going to have that because we're not going to have career soldiers we're not going to have an actual military that employs people just to do that as their profession being a soldier so and the reason for that by the way is yeah, go ahead. because historically the thought process and what would
1: happen generally was when there was a standing army, eventually they would seize power or, you know, someone would would get would gain their favor and then seize power. So it's like, well, if you don't have a standing army, then the civilians always stay in control. And the art the, the general or whoever the general throws his allegiance behind can't just take power. It isn't just a ticking time bomb, so to speak. But I mean, I think it's a good point. that
0: well, you As you say that, I just realized the constitutional originalists, how they let in the U.S. military form.
1: Well, th- but that, that's more of a recent <laughs> thing. The whole originalism thing is more of a recent yeah. thing, you know, in terms so of a legal philosophy, <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, the guns and society conversation to me is interesting because it's, it's something that it's, we're having this conversation all the time right now. Like it, it is seems like daily or weekly, we're hearing reports of another, somebody walking in somewhere and shooting up somewhere, you know, it's just, it's happening all the time. And so rightfully so people are like, hold on, why are we not doing anything about this? You know, like, and you know, numbers show like it, more americans than not significantly more americans than not want there to be some kind of gun safety and it always goes back to the second amendment of the constitution which everybody all of a sudden and like i'm an attorney and I, so i hear all these people talking it's like why is everybody all of a sudden a legal expert interpreting the constitution when and you read the text that's cool but like the first amendment is vague all the like a lot of this legal stuff is set up in a certain way to then be interpreted to mean stuff so you know, I'll just give you an example. Then you know, this would be a example that wouldn't people wouldn't find crazy or anything like that. But the the First Amendment, you know, Congress shall make no law, dot, 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 uh, abridging the freedom of speech, you know, or of the press. So I I, I put out, pulled out the part of the establishment of just because for this point, it's not important. But I just want to talk about the abridging the freedom of speech. Well, look, if you go in to a movie theater and you yell fire, you'll get arrested and you'll go to jail. They made a law that said that, that abridged the freedom of speech. Well, no, it's not all, any speech, all speech whatsoever. Of course, there's certain things that of speech that's not, quote unquote, protected by that First Amendment. And so to me, it's silly when we get to this. Oh, well, the Second Amendment says I have the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't say any arms. Nobody's holding up the Second Amendment trying to buy an
0: Apache helicopter. Nobody's holding up the say like. So it's you just know silly. sad. Somebody will. But that person, person, I'm
1: saying the reason why I say that. They'll take it to the
0: Supreme Court too. Can they
1: arm it with hellfire missiles that person wouldn't be seen as a serious (laughs) person. If somebody got up there and said, if that was the point, people were making it like, oh, you're not a serious person. But for whatever reason, they say, okay, when it it comes to all these other guns, then it is, it's any arms. the, The word any is not in there in terms of, but again, that's me looking at it like a lawyer. But nonetheless, for setting the legal part aside, I find it actually counterproductive. To try to tap tie this guns conversation to a situation like Morant, because Morant's issue is one of celebrity and 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 someone who is well known and a, a representative of an industry, a representative of an organization. Morant is like a CEO doing something like this, you know. Like if the CEO of a major company is out, you know, brand, you know, throwing a gun up and all this other stuff, he would be treated differently than if just some anonymous person was doing it, and that's. Kind of how things work. When you are the face of an organization and all these kind of things, then expectations are different from you. And so to me, this is an his issue was one of more like that. How he's being treated, how it's being dealt with has to be seen in the context of a person who is the face of an organization. The conversation on whether we should have guns in society shouldn't be about what celebrities do, what, you know, prominent people in businesses do. It should be about what's right for all of us.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, man, and I think you make a great point about the First Amendment. I think this is where you know a lot of people just have situational ethics about what um, you know what what they what they well, you know kind of what is their hot issue versus other issues that they aren't as hot about. Well, well, where they will allow some malleability about you know the ability yeah. to change certain <laughs> where things over the time. are
1: people that are protesting the fact that you can't yell fire in a crowded movie yeah. theater? Where are, so, First Amendment? What are you doing? Like no, nobody's protesting that.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a great example. And, and you know, it's just, you know, it, it's it's sad because this issue is one that I think most Americans, I mean, it's been proven over and over with the different polling and all that, that most Americans are actually on the same page. Something I think high 80s, like 87, 89% of Americans polled seem to, you know, share the same thing. They are fine with the Second Amendment in general, this idea that American culture and Americans were allowed to own guns, but they want to see, you know, the idea of responsible people having guns, like having background checks, and and and, then and it doesn't apply you know,
1: to any weapon you can think of.
0: Yeah, maybe having <laughs> permits for you know concealed and you know, people having to get training and all that kind of stuff, which you know is is seems to be pretty reasonable in today's world. That's all, and especially when you see what's going on. And if you look at some of the stats here, because you know, and I know you'll put in the show notes the um, the stuff we have from like Pew Research and some of these. Yeah you know, well respected organizations that that get their stats from, you know, our own government that, that publishes these things, where um, you know, between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one, gun deaths um among teens and kids under 18 doubled, yeah. uh, literally. And, you know, it's just um it's just interesting to see some of these stats. I mean, I was I was very even looking at some of this stuff, learning, like for example, and I think there's always, like, I realize that, you know, on all spectrums of, let's say, our culture and cultural wars, there's people that are willing to listen to other sides and all that and go see, you know, understanding that that there's room for a lot of discussion and and room for a lot of people's opinions. And there's other people who latch on to certain things. And so we've talked a lot about things like the education and all that, and the idea of like CRT as a as a talking point. I've realized for some on the... Gun uh, who would like to see more gun control and regulation, they focus on things like AR-15s, for example, and that becomes just a talking point. And I think that's a mistake because I was looking even in some of the stats, you know, 59% of gun-related homicides in the latest numbers that we have, which is 2021, were committed by people with revolvers and pistols. And the idea of just focusing on one type of gun, to me, only is going to increase that gun's gun sales. The idea is that firearms are responsible for a lot of people's deaths. What are we going to do about that as a country? And picking on a specific type of firearm, I think all you're going to do is make that one more popular. And it appears to be, they actually said rifles were the least, um, they were like less than 17% of all murders combined. And then the well, other thing-
1: Well, I, I, let, me, let, me, let me react to that because I, I don't necessarily agree with you in that sense, or in that because the I think with the focus and when you're talking about the ar15 is what the focus on there is when they're talking about weapons that aren't used typically for hunting and or in in that are not handguns they're not nobody's well again, I mean, serious people, people are
0: hunting with handguns either <laughs>
1: well handguns are considered kind of like your 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 home gun a lot of times. Oh, I know, I know get it. Saying, but the, but I'm, when I'm saying that the distinguishing point in the AR-15s is really assault rifles, you know, is, is the type of things that people are talking about with that. That's the, one of the more popular assault rifles, but that's really what they're talking about there. And that's just different approaches like your approach may be saying, OK, let's look at the types of people who can buy and the types of circumstances when you can buy. And you, that may be your kind of thought process on, on more gun control. Somebody else might say, let's look at the types of guns people can buy. My thought really is that reasonable people should, serious people should get together and figure that kind of stuff out. Like I don't have the prescription of what it is. It's not all guns or all, excuse me, it's not arms. It's not all arms are should be legal to buy. People shouldn't be out here buying ICBMs. You know, nobody's arguing for that. But then it also should be no arms based on the Second Amendment. It shouldn't be no arms. There should be some arms you can do under certain circumstances and whatever. And that, and so we need serious people to figure that stuff out. That's the downside of not having a working you know legislative body of government. I've um, seen recently Minnesota put some stuff in, you know, which, again, are these common sense types of things. But go ahead. I know you had a second part. Yeah, yeah to, no, to I mean,
0: to... the, the other part is really because my issue with that is just because, number one, there's approximately 16 million AR-15s in the United States. So you're not going to get rid of them. There's just too many, right? And the second thing is, is by misidentifying something like that, that people, cause I, have you know, me and you both go shoot guns. I like trap shooting and, 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 and I go to the range with my buddies, you know, and all that. And, you know, I do think people that, um, would like to see more gun regulation for those that don't, I think they should go and spend more time in some of these, you know, just go explore a gun club or something or a range because, you gotta understand it's a different culture. So when you when you focus on one gun, like an assault rifle or specifically the AR-15, all you're gonna do is give the people who are in that culture um more of a feeling that they're that, that they need to go buy more of these things because people are gonna take them away. Instead of, like you said, like, let's just talk about why is our culture here? And I think what I said earlier, and I actually would like to get your opinion on this, because in preparing for today, I realized that it's interesting that the Second Amendment was coming more from a C- culture of collectivism, right? Like saying, yeah. "Hey, look, we need these arms to actually protect ourselves as a nation, and we want to." At the time, the spirit, like we talked about, was for every able-bodied man to be able to participate in defending said nation or said state. Yeah. Now we've we've kind of somehow in the last couple of generations it's become an individualistic, like hyper individual. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, I need my Second Amendment to protect me. The castle yeah. doctrine, stand your yeah. ground. It's all about me fighting off the rest of the world. And that's why I want to pass it back to you. Like, first, how we get here. And second, like, why is it that every, that's kind of what I felt like when, if we go back to John Moran, like, he's trying to show it like this insecurity, like, oh, I'm a man because I got all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, whether i got a gun well, or not He's not along with that though i mean that's I that's, know, that's what I mean. like how do we get like, here with that culture so that's why I but I, I think
1: it's it's just a na- natural evolution you go back to westerns in the the 40s and 50s or 50s and 60s and the 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 gun was the the big man had the big gun and all that kind of stuff like that stuff was tied with masculinity back then i mean i think now here's here's the thing there's context to the second amendment but the words are what the words are and so, and that's kind of the that's my view of the constitution is that like it, it's it, with any of the amendments. It's like you can argue the context, but ultimately it says what it says. It doesn't say any arms, it does and it, but it says you can have the their, their rights to arms is there. So whether at the time, if they wanted that to be tied to people who were in the who, who were in the militia, they should have said that yeah, part of a well-regulated militia, people who are in the militia can have the guns. Like they didn't, you know. So I think we're stuck with that language. And you know, yeah. I'm a person that you know, is a gun owner. And I think that, you know, that's fine, you know, but I do think that I'm not into the extreme on either side. I think that there's common sense stuff we can do that works for a society where, and and the flexibility, I'll give you this, you know, when you talk about the different cultures and stuff, what works for a society may not be the same across the entire spectrum of the society. Like what works in a huge big city may not be the same as what works in rural areas. And that's, you know, again, That's why we have representatives figure that stuff out if they're doing their job and not just constantly. Well, what's
0: interesting is, I mean, and you're absolutely right. Like, I think it was last year in 2022, the state of New York did have some legislation around um, um, concealed weapons. Yeah. And the Supreme Court struck that down, which I think is 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 again, not the idea of, of limited and small government. And I think it's an interesting point. If you have a city like Manhattan and and kind of 18 million people on top of each other within, let's say, a 30-mile radius, right? Yeah. That's going to be different than states like Idaho or Wisconsin or Michigan, where you have a lot of open land and people ha- are are used the to having guns.
1: If, if you need police help, it's 30 miles away or something. like. Yeah. It's, these but are also, there's like- just
0: a different etiquette and culture around guns in those yeah. states because it's yeah. just, you know, like you said before, there are hunters, there's this... And and let's be honest, in some of the bigger metropolitan areas of this country, a lot of people with firearms are criminals. So I I just think that there's- Oh, that's a a heavy heavy thing. No, no. I Go ahead. But but (laughs) I'm not saying that everybody. I'm just saying that (laughs) you're going to have a higher concentration of people that are doing the wrong thing with firearms. And if you got 10 million people, 5 million in the city, versus if you got a whole state that has 1 million people in a whole state that is, you know- 500 miles across so yeah that's that's just really what the, that's what i mean i think that's why i'm following up on but what this is what said, i mean
1: though as far as how we just need serious people to,
0: to kind of well that's what i'm following stuff. up on you is yeah. that no one's talking like that like we got such a big and and country and diverse and i mean diverse culturally not racially yeah. or anything like that meaning and how people view guns in the different pockets of american culture and that we should be flexible and malleable uh around that and one of the questions I wanted to throw to you, actually, which which I found interesting in reviewing today, is, you know, I, I really like to get your thoughts on the why because I don't really know why. So there's been, I mean, when me and you were kids, it wasn't normal for, let's say, a politician running for U.S. Congress or U.S. Senate or governor of their state to be sitting there with a bunch of firearms in their video in their campaign ads and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And I was amazed um, the the in um, or was it, I think it was in the recent 2022 election cycle. They identified at least 104 ads from candidates with firearms. And it was interesting. They, um, it says more than half feature sniper rifles, <laughs> blow torches, or assault weapons, similar to those used in the Valdean. I was like, damn, oh, blow torches. Goodness. This has got the Mandalorian up in here running for office. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, and then, um. And then it says um, at least 11 level threats against the government and I thought that was funny. I was like, "Oh, well, hold on. Yeah. Are not you asking us to vote for you to go to the government And you want to you want to blow it up with a blowtorch?" And it <laughs> said five promoted AR15 Tommy gun or 50 caliber sniper rifle giveaways. I thought, "Man, how come I don't live in one of those states? How would mine?" Yeah, wow. Getting a, getting well, a for fi- me, yeah, get for a I want to get giveaway. Yeah. I want to get a Tommy gun or a Barrett 50 cal. Come on. Well, let me um, let me say this. And I, so, I mean, I, so I just want to finish on this. Is that what what do you think? Why do you think it is because when I read this and I've seen some of the videos and commercials, I remember seeing them during the political season. I feel like that is also was a, was a show of this individuality. Like how like come come and take it, you know, that attitude, like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go defeat all the, you know, all my foes and all the enemies of of whoever I think are my enemies with this one. You know, firearm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on all that? No, man. I don't think that's new. I think that's just part
1: of the American, you know, kind of thing. Like the frontiersman out there with his gun, taking on all all in nature and so forth. And and I think even the statement that that we that probably didn't happen 30 or 40 years ago, we may just not know. You know, I don't know. Like we didn't have social media showing us the craziest no, but I remember watching political commercials. I didn't see that. Well, <laughs> oh, but you, you, where were you though? You know, like you, you were in places again, the different cultures. Like if you were in Idaho, you might have saw something different, or if you were in Alabama, you might have saw something different. And so, you know, and then if you go back even further, I'm sure it was normal. You know, like it would, it would people. Well, maybe it wasn't um, commercials, but you go back to different times in history, and people were like, "Hey, yeah, I'm the sheriff. I'm running for office. I got my gun right here, and all that kind of stuff." So, I mean the obsession with firearms has definitely been an American thing the whole time. I think the needs have just kind of changed as you have a more urban society and as you have a, a society, apparently there's more on edge. One of the things you sent me now is about how, you know, gun deaths are up, you know, like this is something that's shooting back up and has been shooting up for a while, but it really jumped over the past few years. And so everyone's on me, yeah, have more people on edge uh, uh, apparently. And the gun access is, is, as easy as it ever has been, you know, and then more people living around each other. So again, this is why this is my like, my point is, is that we need serious people to figure out what can, what we can do that works. Understanding that what works in one place may not be necessarily what we have to do everywhere, but we need to have some type of framework, some type of approach that tries to address the fact we shouldn't have problems like this that are just getting worse. And we're just at paralysis. And that's actually where I want to take this conversation to, because I want to get into that. Like, Setting aside, you know, whether this is the right time, you know, which some would say any time is the right time to have a a guns in society conversation, which I said before, I don't think the John Morant thing is a good time to do that. But what about this moment we're in right now where we have mass shootings again all the time? And you gave the numbers overwhelming public support for some measures, you know, in terms of gun control. And but we have governmental paralysis, at least on the federal level. But again, we saw just recently Minnesota put some stuff in, you know, that, that so it's not everywhere paralysis, but like the conversation nationally seems to be a non-starter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think what happens is there's things like there are other things in our political culture, whether it be abortion or you know affirmative action or other topics that can be culturally sensitive, right? That there's litmus tests. And unfortunately the idea of certain approaches culturally to firearms became a litmus test in politics. And so I think that's that's could be seen as part of it, is that the debate really ended our political sphere and people just take sides like they do with everything else, yeah. um, and I think the other part is that yeah um, I think through gerrymandering lobbying you know there's other industries um, whether it was tobacco a long time ago um, and I'm sure we can name others now but let's just stick on what we're talking about that the gun manufacturers themselves. Have a very large influence in washington so i think it's one of those examples where the public overwhelmingly supports certain things that i think most average people wouldn't see as too draconian like we're talking about background checks and trying to make sure people that have mental illnesses and things maybe don't have access easy access to firearms um you know it's very difficult i guess for politicians to vote that way because they're scared of either being losing in in their next election or with you know, the the lobbyists coming after them. I, that's my yeah. only guess. Because I, I, well, I can't see why else they would not pay attention to something that 90% of Americans seem to want.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would seem to be a winner. Uh, yeah, you know, like, if you could do something that that 80 some percent of Americans would want, it would seem like, yeah, yeah, yeah let me do that, you know. But uh, yeah, it's a difficult nut to crack, so to speak. Like, it almost is it, so, it, it's such an issue that you're like, well, how can those numbers be right? How can the polling be right if, like, what scenario would someone be un, or Would be would such a critical mass people be unwilling to do something that purportedly so many people favor? Um, some of that, though, remember, is just the population distribution in our country. Like, our country is, you know, we have many more people in urban areas, you know, than we do in rural areas, and so on balance, you know, like you might have a lot of people that that say, "Hey, yeah, yeah, we got we got to do something like that," but based on states, like you have a state that has, you know, several states, you know, less than a million people. And so they're, when you look at 330 million people, they're a very small percentage. And so the political power may not be like organized in a way due to gerrymandering as well, as you brought up, but also just the distribution. It's a rule lean, a rule bent because of the way two senators in every state. So Wyoming and California have the same number of represented, representatives in the, well, senators in the Senate, but ultimately This is if this was the only thing that our government wasn't able to address right now. And I'm talking about the federal government, then it would be I think it would stand out more. But it seems like there's most things right now, you know, our government is is fairly paralyzed with. And so unfortunately, I think this might just be a symptom of a greater problem.
0: Yeah. No, I I was going to say the same thing. I think guns and that's why, like I say, for people that wish to see more gun control and that kind of stuff. They should really go into the gun culture and, 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 and and learn and talk to people because a lot of people, they genuinely feel like the gun is their last barrier between them and anarchy. And they really do feel that if, I mean, even though most people don't train with guns enough to use them properly, right? But they feel like if, if somebody walks into their house, they're going to be like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the movie Commando. They're really well, going to be able to have- But here's my question for this, like-
1: you gave numbers that said that 80 some percent of Americans, you know, favor, you know, basic general type gun control. So how many people are there? There are you saying there's a lot of people like that. How many people are there if 80 if percent of some 80 some percent of people are like, no, nah, we're good with gun control.
0: I don't know. We got I'd say I, I'd assume 80, 90 percent of Americans would say that they um, value freedom of speech and the government not to 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 be out there regulating speech. But we live in a state where the governor is out there banning books right? Yeah, I, was and, gonna say, and I, no I don't know that we get 80 and, or 90% of freedom. And, well, I don't know. Maybe you're saying, right. But, but he's yeah. not getting a lot of pushback from the abstract, all of our citizens, people, right? If
1: you ask him yeah. in the abstract, they'd say, yeah, yeah, of course. And they say, well, are you good with the governor banning books? And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. And it's
0: like- No, and I think that's another <laughs> thing. I'm sure with many people in the abstract, it sounds good to um, uh, you know, have background checks on people that are crazy or what are mentally ill. <laughs> but then what happens is once- someone actually says, okay, now I'm going to come in office and I'm going to be a champion of legislating this, right? Then I think what happens is we go to our fight or flight. This goes back to elephant and the rider, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens is people are easily knocked off their, their kind their, of focused. Their
1: abstract agreement Correct. with the statement. Yeah. Because,
0: because someone else will come from the other side and say, hey, look, that's a slippery slope. You know, if they if they just do the background check, next thing you know, they're gonna take out away this, and then it's that, and the, and because people will react more on fear than than anything else. They're they they become a deer in the headlight and just say, okay, well then let's not do anything. So, so yeah, so so you're saying that the the the
1: people who oppose gun control got this down to a science. They know how to tickle. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, I what, think what that's why how. I think it's
0: really about the people who desire more gun control just got to be more creative. I mean, it's just just having to say. That's why my issue with naming a specific gun like the AR-15. I think it's all a waste of time. Yeah. I think they need to get a different strategy. Period. Interesting.
1: Well, no, I, I think. Um, and I I think we can close up this topic, but there's one thing I want to say. Uh, Because you made a good point and you kind of asked me and I didn't get to it directly, but I want to get to it directly because it was a really good question as far as the individualism and how it keeps going and how that feeds this gun issue. It feeds a lot of issues that we have, you know, this hyper individualism that seems to be progressing. And I mean, people have looked at this kind of thing, but the things I've seen that I find to be fairly persuasive goes into that we feel like we need each other less like we feel like we're our own entity more the way society is now we are all still very codependent like i may feel like with my iphone and my wi-fi and my i I don't need anybody to cook me dinner i don't need anybody i don't need a car i can just like but you're still very interdependent but you're not interdependent with the people who are around you versus a hundred years ago where the people who are around you you saw every day how much you needed them for everything now it's all anonymous. So I think just the way our society has evolved and, and making us feel like it may be a false sense, but it makes us feel like we don't really need our neighbor. We don't really need our, you know, our coworker. You know, it's kind of like, yo, we're all just trains passing in the night, you know, just stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours type of thing. And so I think that that, you know, that, that in our culture has fed this, but it is a dangerous mix you know, when we start talking about the Second Amendment, when we start talking about guns and everything like that, this hyper individualism, because we're all here together. <laughs> you know, so if, if all of us are walking around I'm like, fuck you, I don't need you. You know, they, they, they yeah. bad things can happen.
0: So yeah, well, but that's I think what's can... happening, right? <laughs> 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 and, yeah, you know, kept... the last thing, and I wanted to say this, it'll just be 10 seconds, just more for everyone to think about what I found sad and fascinating. And we don't talk about it enough. Um, is uh, 53% of all homicides, gun deaths, let's put it that way, um, in 2021, which is the highest year on record for gun deaths in the United States, 53% were suicides. Yeah. So it's another conversation we're not really having in this country, which is why are so many people taking their own lives? And that yeah. keeps going up. So that's I'll just leave it at that. No, no, that's that's, that's, that's that's another something. show, right? But again, <laughs> and that's one of those things that
1: you have to be careful. Like that's a conversation we should have, but then you have to be, just like with the John Morant conversation, you have to be careful mixing those conversations together because then a lot of time, whatever point you're trying to get to on the suicides may get lost because yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I say it's,
0: it's different than a homicide. It's just it's, it's sad just that, no, it's just something
1: yeah. of note. But the second topic we wanted to to, to, to go into today, um, Jim Brown, you know the, the the late Jim Brown, who he passed a few days back, and um, you know he was a mountain of a man, you know through the the 20th century. Uh, first as a, you know, a football player, you know, some consider him the best football player of all time, um, uh, actor, you know, groundbreaking actor, you know, not necessarily the, the most, you know, like the, the, the most expressive or something like that, but an actor who broke through barriers, you know, in terms of what African-Americans could do an activist through the whole time. Uh, I mean, he, is, you, you can read, you know, all of the things that the guy's done and it's a long list, you know, but also a guy who's been, uh, you know, tied to domestic violence, you know, things like that, you know, with women. And so, you know, the thing with with Jim Brown that I wanted to get to, just, you don't have to come here to get kind of a rundown of how amazing of a, of a man he was in terms of all the things he accomplished. But I've, it's been interesting to me to see how people have tried to navigate through, okay, well, he's, it, his legacy isn't without blemishes. So how can we talk about how significant of the, the things that he did do and like how much courage the guy had and how many you know, all that stuff and not shortchange the other side or not say, oh, we're not worried about domestic violence against women and so forth, especially in this day and age when that's something maybe 20 years ago it would be less of something people worried about. So, you know, just your thoughts, you know, on how our society, I mean, first, you know, any, anything you want to say on Jim Brown, you know, but also just on how our society can or or does honor individuals who were transcendent, truly transcendent, but also not unblemished.
0: Yeah. No, it's good. You know, I, I appreciate you um, uh, bringing this as a topic idea because, you know, I'm not a football guy. Yeah. So, of course, I know who Jim Brown was because he's that famous. But it's like, unless you're that famous in football, I don't know who you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, I know I I'm a basketball guy. I know more about, you know, uh, baseball in the f- 60s and 70s than I do even about football. So, yeah. for me, reading about him, like, I mean, again, I know I I like football as a sport. I just don't follow it and the players and the records and all that. But to see that yeah. he got, he's the only player to average over a hundred rushing yards per game per game. A yeah, ten year career. I was like, wow, that's a beast right there. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you're saying and like, that's there's certain thing, records like, that, and the reason like, why that's well, one of those type of numbers, you know. Well, let like,
1: me tell you this: the reason why that's one of those kind of records that may never be broken is because it's per game. Like they played less games then. Yeah, and you know, like so. His his total his cumulative stats have been surpassed, but yeah, in but terms even the, of the fact, per I mean, game stuff is like people can't touch his per game stuff.
0: But even like I mean he just lived in a day when guys were just I mean I guess there was a lot more time there was a lot less distractions in life. I mean the guy that the fact that in uh, at Syracuse he was um, I think he played on the basketball team then he was like the top player in the country in lacrosse. Yeah, and he was uh, so good that they actually well changed lacrosse. the rules about how you can carry the stick when you're running in lacrosse because of him personally yeah. like that's how good he was like that they had to change the rules because he was that good yeah. and um and that he's also um in the lacrosse Hall of Fame it was just yeah. one of the greatest players like I had no idea that he had all that the, the yeah. Lacrosse guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then like you said to learn about the movies and kind of the fact he retired at his prime at 30 to go pursue you know acting and the civil rights and all that it was just an interesting story and so like you're saying, he's a very complex man because then I saw his Me Too stuff that he'd never get away with today that yeah. <laughs> I saw in 1973, yeah. he proposed to an 18-year-old. I was yeah. like, I looked at the math when he was born. I like, that guy was 37. I don't think they'll fly today. Because <laughs> I mean, if she's 18, I mean, he started seeing her when she was upset Before
1: she was 18. <laughs> he 18. didn't just he, Yeah, he, <laughs> he waited. Her, yeah.
0: He might have started at 15 or 16 if he's a proposing by the time she's 18. So so I think, you know, it's like you said, right? Uh, it's just interesting that, um, it, like you joked before in the last segment where you said they didn't have social media back then, right? We don't know what some people were saying. And it's another thing that right now we see celebrities like these guys and we get their entire brain soup every day in social media. So we we can pick at them and think that some of them act funny and crazy. But you look at this guy's life. I mean, this guy had a definitely an issue with domestic Abuse and with just physical, I mean, he was arrested seven times for um, like assault and battery. Mm -hmm. That's a lot in your lifetime to be arrested seven times when, especially when you're a prominent person like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. just as because that tells you he did a lot more times than seven. I mean, seven is the time when it probably got bad enough that, you know, cops showed up and had to do something about it. But the fact he was a celebrity, it probably, they probably got called a lot more times than seven times. We can, we can see how it goes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: That's not the, you know, the part. So, no, I mean, I think you're right. Like, that's, there was an issue there, you know, like, and it's, it's, it's always difficult to wrestle with that because, you know, you don't, you, you wonder, are you letting somebody off the hook when you only talk about the good, you know, or, you know, something like that. And people are, I mean, we, we have a running joke between you, you and I, uh, you know, this, this might've been a podcast we did not, it might not even have been on call it. Like I see it. Um, it might've been, you know, it was a real long time ago and we were talking about, you know, just how people, you know, make mistakes. People, nobody's perfect. And you, you dropped the gym, of all gems that sometimes people are human beings too, you know, and I've quoted you on that many times, but you know, I think about it in that context in the sense that ultimately these things, these demons or these things that he was doing wrong, we know about them. And so therefore, you know, it's like we we have to wrestle with, well, how do we deal with, because his contributions were, were transcendent, like what he did, civil rights era and so forth, the doors he opened, the barriers he broke through are, You know, it's it's one of a kind. You know, like he, it's him, it's it's Ali. It's I mean, it's these guys that are like giants in that field. People that put their livelihoods on the line, athletes that put their livelihoods on the line to try to make society better for everyone else. Which you know, people don't do that anymore. (laughs) You know, granted, they're people make a lot more money now than they did back then. But nonetheless, to me, it's one of those things actually that. If you don't try to put people on the pedestal of flawlessness, of perfection, then I think you can deal with it better. Like, just because we don't know about someone's demons or the things that they did wrong doesn't mean that they didn't have any. So if we – and this is difficult because humans, we like to we, – we, we love our idols, you know, <laughs> and whether it be political or whether it be sports or whether it would be, you know, anything. Um but if we, if we work to, to just understand that people are human beings, you know, like, and that they're going to have things that they're going to do things they're not proud of sometimes, they're going to but hopefully people continue to grow, people continue to learn from the things that they've done. But you still can look at people who change society and, you know, tip the cap or, you know, give them a bow and say, look, you changed society. We're thankful for that. We're grateful for that, you know, and, and your, yeah. your contributions. You also shouldn't shortchange that part.
0: No, I know. And I think, you know, I think one thing I got out of learning about this guy is I think, you know, we're going to be forced to, I think, with the transparency we now have in kind of today's world, which just like we keep talking about the Internet and everyone's got a cell phone camera, can catch people just randomly on the street doing stuff um, that I think maybe it's a good thing in the long run, right, that that we'll learn to treat celebrities and, and people that are famous less with kind of an idolatry lens, let's say and more just accepting that they are also human beings that can be flawed, right? And that Unlikely. maybe they're- they're <laughs> Unlikely.
1: My thought actually- No, I, I, I'm I just saying, saying like- who well, let, me say this, let me throw this at you because I want your reaction to this. I think that'll still happen. But what I think it'll just be more, it'll be more partisan. It'll be more pocketed. Like you'll have your, you, know, you hear this term, stands. You'll have your stands. And so those people will see you could do no wrong. And then you'll also have a pocket of people that are like, nah, that down you. We just won't have universal figures necessarily like imagine how like if john f kennedy was around you know today you know like and going through doing the stuff he was doing back then you know he wouldn't necessarily be looked at in the same way if 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 the public knew all the things that's going on and so if he's he might be facing a
0: case stuff. in the southern district of new york <laughs> about paying off maryland exactly honestly point. So, to the defense of president trump on that one because i'm sure yeah He's not the first powerful man that led a country that's sitting there trying to cover up that he was banging chicks on the side. So, <laughs> you're right. So, if, Kennedy, so yeah, if we had so social media back be, when Kennedy was
1: president. It, it would just be more pocketed. Now, you know, like, so I think that's more of the thing. So, I mean, what's your thought on that? Because I think people are so always like, stands no, are going to be there.
0: Look, who knows? I, 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 maybe I'm just being utopian here, wishing for, you know, everyone to just be able to see people for kind of. Uh, not, not treat them as animals, right? And and yeah. just accept that they're you know everyone is, even people that are great in something are still normal in a lot of other things, right? And kind of just regular, like Jim Brown's a great example. I mean, unfortunately, the guy seemed to be a domestic abuser. But he was a great football player. So, you know, you got to I mean, square I mean, that. Right? Thing, I, and, I put the civil rights activists and that stuff way above the football, honestly. I mean, yeah, well, here's, I to wanted his to credit, speak on a th- couple th- things. To his credit,
1: uh-huh. to be fair, you know, like it does seem that later in life that that was an issue that didn't come up and that he even spoke against. You know, like now, you know, that's in his way. But it, like, it doesn't does seem later, like that's something that continued all the way through.
0: No, I was going to say it was much later because I saw he was arrested in 1997 for smashing his wife's car windows out with a shovel. Yeah, and then refused to go to, to a to a domestic violence thing uh, to get serve time instead. Yeah, and he served three months in jail because he was yeah. like screwed at So I'm saying he was 63 years old. <laughs> I mean, that's that's already a little bit later in life. I was like, maybe when yeah. he was 85, he was talking about I shouldn't have done that. The <laughs> <laughs> would thing by hey. 63, you you figure out like not to behave that hey, way. Especially. It's
1: better. It's better. It's better than never doing it. You know, so, or never but, never figuring it out.
0: A couple of things just before we wrap it up. I wanted to just cite that I found interesting. So in 66... I mean, this is stuff you're talking about with some of the um, the the civil rights stuff. They had the Cleveland summit, yeah. he, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and it was on behalf of Muhammad Ali. Supporting and Ali. What's, yep. What's interesting, again, we see some of this recent stuff in our culture now. Um, you know, whether it be Colin Kaepernick a few years ago, or you know, the reaction of some post George Floyd, and you know, it it's it says here, and I'll quote the the page I'm reading because Ali, meaning Muhammad Ali, was a pariah. In American society at the time, because of his opposition to the Vietnam War and Frizzle to enter the draft, his boxing license had been revoked and he faced up to five years in prison. So what I'm saying, number one is he was actually really an activist, Muhammad Ali, that wasn't as talked about you know, later in his life. But what I thought of is, you know, I'm visiting Louisville, Kentucky this week, and I flew into Muhammad Ali airport. Yeah. And what I found is when we're looking at Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, John Brown, these guys were all pariahs at one point. Yeah, the great society looked at them as agitators and people that were disrupting normal civil, civil behavior and all that. Yeah, yep. And they all died as heroes in America. Yep. So it's yep. an it's another contrast of how long some of these things, you know, the kind of arc of of progress. And then a couple other things I found interesting. One was he was very economically um, driven and aware from the 1960s. So. He had he had in a, an organization he he developed, and he said here in a 1968 Ebony interview. Think this would have been during the height of the civil rights stuff. "Quote: We've got to stop wasting all our energy and money marching and picketing and going things like camping in Washington and our poor people's campaign. We've got to get off the emotional stuff and do something that will bring about real change. We've got to have industries and commercial enterprises and build our own sustaining economic base. Then we can face." White folks, man to man, and we can deal. And he supported Richard Nixon and endorsed him in the nineteen sixty eight election because Nixon specifically was on a f- platform of supporting black capitalism. So yeah. it's just funny how, you know, you don't hear these things a lot, but it's just interesting. And then going back to the deep state and to and to the weaponization stuff, in, in 2003 files were declassified that showed the FBI and the Secret Service and local the police departments were all um monitoring his black economic union and basically attempting to smear him and again like we've talked about the the words when you're just trying to say something's bad they 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 smeared the group as a source of communism and radical Muslim extremism. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking yeah. like, so that's no different than calling someone CRT today or or yep. you know, yep. a Marxist yep. and all that. Like, hold on. And it's funny because you and I understand the black Americans and black American culture, especially a guy like him. Okay, guy, them guys have nothing to do with communism. And he's a freaking Christian. He got nothing to do with radical Muslim, but they knew that if they, if they trigger made these words. accusations, they're trigger words. Exactly. So yeah. I found that interesting that, you know, the government was, you know. No, that's the deep state. Actively, you know, it's yeah. always the people that talk the most
1: about the deep state. You know, like the deep state's <laughs> never looking at them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, we're, I'm glad that they're that's bringing what? people's attention to it. Hopefully, yeah. they
0: can, you know, talk about, but none for some reason, I, I feel like the Congressional Weaponization Committee won't go back and look at that one. They weren't like I that get the feeling. Yeah, they might not. No, uh, <laughs> but I mean,
1: it, it, just to your point, though, like. A lot of, you know, and then you didn't even mention the in the nineties, you know, with what he was doing with the the, the um gang culture in the yeah, prisons. The and trying, thing, to, yeah. trying to teach people like, you know, try how to be better, you know, and so forth. Yeah. So I mean, this is a guy that definitely put his energy where his mouth is in terms of trying to make a better society. Um and so ultimately you just gotta take it at that. You know, like this is a person who did a lot to try to make society better, wasn't perfect, he did things that, you know, were wrong. And, you know, and then you you just, you take, you, you people can hold multiple thoughts in their head at one time. And so if people make you do that, then that's how it is. Again, idol- idolatry, though, is not going anywhere. They were worried about, people were worried, worried about idolatry, and they warned about it in the Bible. And people still do it. People still did it then. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be there. They didn't but, did you know, get Moses, against,
0: get, did Moses huh? get mad after he spent <laughs> that 40 days on the mountain? He came back, and they were worshiping the calf, right? That was yeah, the story? Yeah, That's just so, how yeah, it works, man. Like that's how it works. 3,000 years ago. It was bad. It's still bad today, but people do it. People do it. People do
1: it. You know, they put they put their leaders on t-shirts, you know, their political leaders on t-shirts, shooting guns. And put
0: them on flags. What about that? Flags?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Idolatry doesn't go anywhere, man. So we just have (laughs) hopefully, you know, like we can all keep a level head and and appreciate the sacrifices though that people have made before us while also looking to the future and trying to continue those legacies on. So we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think. Until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Agulana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.